Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about the power of strategic authenticity in your midlife career. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. I have a feeling there are going to be a few takeaways for you in this episode. One big lesson my guest talks about has to do with authenticity being a strategic thing that you have to constantly work at and do. And if you do, you'll be amazed at how powerful it can be. In fact, it can be your secret weapon to success. How about that? (laughs) I know, that's pretty exciting. But just quick, speaking of excitement, I have some news. You may recall that I've been working on an exciting new podcast about what it's really like to be a woman over 50 and an entrepreneur. Well, it's almost here. To celebrate the launch of Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, you are invited to join me on Zoom for a launch celebration with prizes. So head on over to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash party to get on the invitation list where you will get all the details. Okay, now let's dive in because I have a treat for you. Today's podcast episode is about the power of strategic authenticity in your midlife career with Aaron Hatsakostas. Aaron is a former corporate CEO turned professional pot stirrer. <laughs> Recently called an up-and-coming Mel Robbins by the founder of The Keynote Shop, Aaron is an internationally recognized leader on the impact of authenticity in the workplace. The CEO and founder of Be Authentic, Inc., Aaron is a global keynote speaker, the best-selling author of You Do (laughs) You-ish, the co-host of the podcast Because Work Doesn't Have to Suck, and a coach sultant. Her TEDx talk was one of the top 20 globally most viewed TEDx talks released in 2021. Her talks have reached hundreds of thousands of people, and her thought leadership has been featured on ABC, CBS, and published in Business Insider, Fast Company, Well Plus Good, among several others. Her company also conducted a national study on the impact of authenticity in the workplace. Erin shares a ton of amazing ideas, perspectives, and insights to help you leap forward, including the compromise calculation and what she calls the 50% rule. And that is just the beginning. I know you're going to get a lot out of this interview, so please enjoy. Hi, Erin. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. I love it. I love being in the middle. Love being here. I love that too. I am so excited to talk to you about uh, your life and what's been going on for you and some of the transitions that you've made. So let's get started with talking about what was going on in your 40s. And you can tell us, um, you know, a little bit about your professional identity, your career path, what was going on for you there. So take it away. Yeah. I mean, the, the 40s, like a lot of women, things were going really well professionally, um, when I say professionally, because life was also crazy, right? Because in our 40s, we're also typically dealing with children and, you know, staying married and all of that fun stuff. But yeah, for me professionally, um, really, quite frankly, it hit my stride. And look, I am not perfect. I mean, my first career, I started out in an actuarial training program um, and spent three years taking exams and three years failing exams. And so you know, I wasn't, I think it's really important to know I was ambitious and I was always fairly smart, but I wasn't this person that was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get, you know, a sweet position or an executive position or, or what have you. But I always just wanted to grow. And so in my forties, I had found myself, um, actually in my late thirties in a, a division of a fortune 50 company. And I had been working my way up within that organization. They had acquired this company. I, you know, took a job over there and basically every year when somebody else would leave, they would be like, hmm, well, I guess maybe we should give it to Aaron. Right. And so I accumulated things by doing, I guess, good work and eventually, um, actually got a phone call. I think this is a really important story for your audience. I, I 
I got a phone call on a Friday from our COO. And he's like, this is kind of heavy for a Friday, but I've decided to leave the company. And I want to know if it's okay if I put your name forward, you know, to take my role as the next COO. And Susie, I just, I paused and I replied so quickly. I was like, no, thank you. Mm. And what happened in that moment that I, of course, didn't realize, but I, you know, I ran something called the compromise calculation. And I know a lot of people do it. And that compromise calculation is pretty simple. We just sort of assume that anytime our career goes up, there's a hard-coded line that everything else goes down. And so I quickly thought, well, you know, I would get more authority and more money. Um, at the same time, I would, you know, have less time with my children, more risk, you know, with my my partner, my spouse, less time to be healthy and to work, right? It was sort of like, and I and I was in a position where I had a good job. I was making decent money, right? You know, but I wasn't super stressed. You know, I had sort of strategy and marketing product, right? I didn't have that thing, you know, the, those departments where everybody was screaming at you or. <laughs> and so, um, I said, no, thank you. And then, you know, we had a conversation and, you know, he said, he said the proverbial think about it over the weekend, you know, just give it some thought. And so I thought about it over the weekend. Of course, I asked a million people like waiting for somebody to tell me the answer. And it was all over the board. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, some were like, go for it, girl. And some, you know, some were like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, that's going to be, you know, a lot to manage the kids and blah, blah, blah. And the thing that hit me that is, if there's one thing, quite frankly, your audience hears, it's this. It, it finally hit me that the reason I said no thank you was sort of picturing my life and my work as those other executives, right? Cause I was going to be stepping into the executive role. So I pictured, you know, the men that were on the planes all the time, the women that maybe got divorced, the guy that had the heart attack, the, you know, I, I sort of pictured and, and the formula that they would use and, it hit me, you know, you shouldn't not do something because you hate the way it was done before. Instead, mm. you can do it your own way. Now, I had been doing it my own way the whole time, but I didn't know that. That's what was my success. It's not like all of a sudden I picked up a new strategy, but I got myself through that decision. So so one, I think that's important to hear, whether it's in the corporate world or you're transitioning out. Like, just because even if it's somebody like, oh my God, I love Susie does, you know, life and weight coaching, but you know what? I don't really love that she has to do X, Y, and Z, that she has to do a podcast to, you know, get her name out there. What You don't have to do it the way Susie does it. You don't, you know, you can emulate people, but you can do it differently. So long story short, I ended up coming back. I said, yes, a, a year later, um, the CEO got reassigned and they put me on as interim CEO course, right? Like heaven forbid, they just give me the, give me the role. And they and basically said, you know, we're going to go look for other candidates, which I heard as we're going to go make sure there's nobody better. And over the next three months, I was like, you know, at first I was mad. And then I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to test you out too. I don't know if I want this. Right. And, and also it was the best thing could have happened because if, if I would have just gone, you know, up against other people with resumes and in interviews, I, I probably wouldn't have won. Like on paper, I wasn't probably, you know, the best for the job. But I was like, well, while they're doing that, I'm going to run the business. I'm going to kick so much butt that they have no option other than to give it to me. And that's what happened. You know, in the next couple of months, I renegotiated some big contracts, got some great traffic. I mean, it got to a point, such good things were happening that there was like no question that they, you know, they were going to put me in that spot. And so for the next three years, I ran a company I was that I was highly unqualified to do, you know, small town girl from Northern Michigan. Um, parents were teachers, like no Ivy League degree. I had my MBA. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, it's not that I wasn't qualified. I'm being a little flippant, but it was sort of the unexpected. And the company prior to me taking over was um, really struggling, flat earnings four years, couldn't reinvest in itself, more uh, morale was really low. And in the next three years, we, we actually tripled earnings. We took flat earnings that were 17 million for four straight years and, and turned them into $50 million in earnings. Uh, employee engagement went up 15%, which is a huge bump, uh, when you have a thousand person organization. And here's the thing though, all along, I still kind of waited, kept waiting for my luck to run out. Hmm. And it wasn't imposter syndrome at that point. Like it was more that I wasn't sacrificing as much as everybody else. Right. And I literally, this is back in the day when you would go sit in a room. For me, it was Hartford, Connecticut, 
with my peers to do our quarterly business review. I would physically see them every month. I would hear their stories of, you know, flying 17 clients this month and giving up a vacation to do this. And I was like, I'm not really working as hard as them. And so um, like my run might be over, right? Because we've had these great results. And and so then I decided to leave, which we're going to unpack a lot more, but I'm going to pause and let you do that because that's, you know, I'm sure what people want to hear, like, how did you make that decision? But when I decided to make that decision and announced um, my retirement, everybody kept saying, we're going to miss your authentic leadership. And I wasn't surprised they called me authentic. You know, I, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of me, but it wasn't a badge I had been pinned with before. Mm. And what hit me, Susie, was I wasn't going to be found out. I was just playing a totally different game. Mm. I was using authenticity strategically. Now, for me, it was subconscious and it was after years of watching my father. And there's like the whole reason why I like, it's not like I knew it at the time. I do now because that's what I spend all my time doing is teaching people how to do that. But I realized that that was a different game. It was the reason we negotiated better contracts the way I went into negotiations. It was a reason I got the best talent and kept the best talent. People wanted to come work for me. It's the popularity contest. They're like, oh, this executive, I heard she's really, you know, approachable and authentic and cool. It's like, yeah, that's how you win, right? You get the best people coming to work for you. Um, executives noticed me and trusted me because I didn't go into review meetings BSing them, right? Everything's green and yellow and, you know, we're working on it. It's like, no, like I would talk about reds and I would tell stories and so I just did things that were more authentic that would stand out. Mm. And so, okay. so, so I want to ask one question about yeah. that before we talk about you leaving. So when you first took that, that original position, what in your mind was like the priority of something that you were going to do your way, that you were going to be more authentic and do it differently? Where did you take that baby step? Yeah. I mean, one of the first things I remember were communications. So once you got to that, level that I was at, you know, a VP in the company, the CEO for the subsidiary, you know, you had corporate comms people, right? And and they would write all your communications and we had organizational changes. And those things are BS. Nobody reads them. It's a bunch of buzzwords. And I remember the first major company-wide reorg that we all had to partake in. And so all the corporate comms people were descending upon the executives to write and put their picture in the box up top. And he sent me the draft and I pulled it up and I got ready to redline it, figuring I'm going to change a few things. And Susie, I couldn't even redline it. I did, I was like, I don't even understand what he's saying. Wow. Like, I don't even know where to start. And I was like, nope, my people know my voice. I'm going to write my own. Um, I'm going to tell them why we're doing this. I'm going to tell it my own voice. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's one of the first things I can remember was, you know, just like scrapping that stuff that nobody read and understood and, talking to my people, like in a way that they would actually listen. Mm, you know, that is such an applicable lesson. I remember the first time I hired um, a business coach and she gave me some guidance about my writing because I came from a much more academic situation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I can say like you're and not you are. I not, and that's a good thing. It was really weird to start writing in a more colloquial type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then the podcast is another lesson because I, you know, we're definitely speaking the way we are for real. Yeah. And, and it, it was an adjustment. It was a big adjustment. Mm -hmm. And it's something I see with newer people in business or entrepreneurs. And, you know, here you are a seasoned corporate professional. And you're really trying to push that wall at a high level. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds great. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so that's the crazy thing. I mean, so the story isn't linear. There were a number of things. Um, you know, I say the first thing is I had kind of always told my husband I wanted to take a non-traditional break at some point. I, I just don't like normal in general. And, and also I hadn't taken a break with the kids when they were little. You know, I did four months maternity. But I also knew that that middle school, high school years, there would be sort of a different need. So that, you know, so that was sort of out there, although I was calling it a break. He thought it was really a break. It wasn't a break, break. Um, <laughs> and then I think that the other really big thing is I had realized a personal pattern. I call it a PP of mine earlier in my career. And that personal pattern 
would be, you know, I'd get a new role within the company. Everything would be hard. I wouldn't understand what people are saying. I'd have to work harder. And then I'd get a couple years in and I would become like the go-to person and I would, it would become easier. And then all of a sudden, at first I thought, oh, well, I'm getting lazy though. Like, oh my God, Aaron, you have sprinted. You have so achieved and sprinted that you're now burnt out and you're like done being mis- misachiever. Like you've sprinted the race and didn't realize it was a marathon. And I would feel crappy about myself. And then um, I started to realize it wasn't that I was getting lazy. It was that it wasn't as challenging. And as much as one side of my brain really wanted things to be easy, because that felt like what it should be, that I'd show up to work and read the emails quickly. The other part of me, the part of me that made me kick ass Aaron was like burnt, like the flame would go out if I didn't have the challenge. And so mm-hmm. I started realizing that, you know, even though I should want to stay that every three or four years, I needed, I needed something new so that, and then all of a sudden I would get into the role and same thing. I'd be like kicking butt and impressing people and pressing myself and, you know, being excited. So that was happening again after three years running the company and, and about six or seven with the organization. You know, I felt like I kind of led this turnaround. And so normally I would just get another role within the parent company. That's where I had been my whole career. It's, it was a Fortune 50 company. There's plenty of opportunity. And I actually sat with the president of the at the time. She's now the CEO of a Fortune 5 company. And um, I sat in her office. She was a big sponsor of mine. And she kept throwing things my way. Like, what if you do this? What if you do that? And it was like being at a restaurant and trying on the menu in your head and everything, nothing tasting good. And I was like, oh, crap. And so I started to realize that that exponential drive and learning and excitement wasn't going to come from there. And so um, it was sort of that, it, like I'd been there 22 years each year. I felt like it would be harder to, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I was going to go run a smaller company. I didn't know if I was going to consult. Like I had no idea what it was. I just knew I wanted something with more breathing room for the kids and different. And I, I, so I'll never forget. So it was all in my head, like it is for your listeners, right? Like you're probably thinking about all the time. And then like one minute you're like, hell yes. And then you're like, oh, that's really stupid. And that's where I was. And I went on a business trip and I sat next to this woman and, um, she had been in corporate for about 10 years. And then she, um, started her own company. And I just kept asking her question after question. And I was just intrigued and she seemed so happy and, so finally, I stopped asking her questions and I said, you know, I'm sorry that I'm asking so many questions, but I've, I've started thinking about maybe, maybe this is time for me to do something new. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, Susie, I was like, well, that's really stupid. Like, that's a really stupid idea. And I told her, I said, well, that would be stupid right now, though, because my reputation's at an all time high. And, you know, why would I go and do something now? Like I, you know, and she just looked at me so succinctly, so matter of factly, and just said, who says this is the top? And I was like, and in that moment, that metaphor came so to life so quickly. And I was like, crap, I don't know what it looks like from other mountains. I don't know what it looks, feels like to hike the other mountains. Um, And, you know, that one single thing kind of gave me the courage to go do it. And on top of that, things were good. My reputation was high. So worst case scenario, I left and I came back. You know, I knew that I would have an opportunity. So I felt like the risk really, you know, the, it was a bigger risk to not know what it was like to be on those other mountains than it was to, you know, sort of fall from the mountain I was already on. I love what you were just saying, because really you're, you were sensing that finally that there's a cost. There's an actual cost to not seeing what it looked like from that other vantage point that you didn't even dare to dream about. It's so interesting that you thought you were at the pinnacle, but that's just artificial. I think think so many of our listeners do too, right? I mean, whether it's in corporate or you, maybe you're even running your own business and you're a certain industry and thinking about another one. And it's, I think we're so scared that once we've had success of being an idiot and sort of throwing it all away because we think it is this linear game. And the reality is everything that success that I had, I mean, I'm totally leveraging that success in my new, in my new role and in my, you know, my new profession 
a hundred percent. Right. But I'm doing it in a way that's, that's different. And actually t- I think using more of my power than if I would have stayed doing what I was doing. Absolutely. And I love that you really sensed, you started to pick it up and that you gave yourself, I guess, grace to hear and feel what you were noticing about, uh, you know, being a, a little demotivated and needing that challenge. That is such huge insight about yourself. Uh, to go from lazy to needing challenge is a huge shift in the way you're thinking yeah. about your strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't talk about it often, but there was a little sprinkled in there, which I just kind of alluded to that I felt like I was meant for more. Mm. And, and it was sort of like, not just I was better than everybody else. I thought I was a good executive. I didn't think that I could become the best, the best, because it does take a lot, right? And so while I felt like it was really good and obviously did a good job, you know, running that company for three years, my strengths, I just, I kind of knew, and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I, I'm meant to write. I'm meant to be a keynote speaker, like those things that I, that I actually didn't find until I gave myself space. But elusively in my head, I thought, I've got some kind of charismatic qualities. I've got some, I'm a deep thinker. You know, I have some things. I don't know how to use them, but I feel like, I feel like I'm meant for more and I got to go figure out what that is. Mm, Okay. So you were kind of hearing or feeling that whisper of, it might even be entrepreneurial. Was that coming in? That's what it, that's what I'm saying. It was, it was, I mean, because, because that was so different, Mm. um, but the funny part is then, you know, so I have this, this moment with this woman that's so transformational. And then I get very practical and I run into not literally, we were doing some business together with this guy that I had worked with at the company years ago. And he had been out doing kind of all the different things I was thinking about, you know, consulting. He'd been at a small startup, right? Like something that was different than what I was doing. And I actually write about it in my, my book that's coming out next year. I, I'll call him, uh, James, his pseudonym. And I, and I called up James. I, it was like the first time I'd really had a practical, like, give me some advice. You've done, you've seen all the things. And, um, you know, what he told me immediately when I like got done puking out all my thoughts, what? don't effing, don't effing do it. Don't effing do it. And he didn't say effing. Yeah. And, um, it's so interesting. Right. So then I was like, Oh my gosh, I maybe I shouldn't. And he was, you know, his rationale was like, I don't know, in this, in startup world, you run into a bunch of jerks and that like, there was all these reasons. And luckily I had a coach at the time. Coaches are valuable people. Very, very valuable. I, I just happened to have an executive coach for the first time. And, um, we had our session planned and I sort of had my normal like agenda prepping for a big quarterly business review and, you know, like businessy stuff. And then I was like, Carolyn, I got to tell you about what I'm thinking about. And this conversation I had, and I was ready to write off like all those dreams I had. I was like, Oh God, that would have been, that would have been disastrous. Like he's right. You know? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't remember her obviously giving me the answer, but I just remember her slowing me down. That's just such the value of a coach, right? Slowing Mm -hmm. my freaking brain down. And she says, well, what do you think of it? And just sat there. Right. And as I was able to process it slower, and with my own two cents, you know, with my 40 some years on the earth and experience, um, I convinced myself to not, not effing do it. I didn't convince myself what to do or, but I got myself back on track. So it's, you know, it's so interesting how we can hear such inspirational advice like you give on your podcast and with your clients. And, and sometimes, you know, all it takes is some bad advice. Um, it can really throw us the other way. And that's, part of my next book, the 50% rule, which, you know, we could talk about, but, you know, it's really important that you, you hear all of those things, but you only take about half, you only take out about half of what you hear, because if you start to, you know, listen to everything, including what I say today, like only take half, um, curate the rest with your own thoughts, experience, ideas, et cetera. That's so, so important. Yeah. And just allowing yourself to be curious, just to be curious, like the coach was, the way you got coaching, it allowed you to lean in a little bit more. And when you're curious and slow down, you can actually catch those thoughts. Yep. Um, that is very interesting that, that the other person said, don't do it. And, um, I'm so glad you spoke to her that day. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about what happened next and what space and grace to wander and explore mm. meant to you. Yeah. 
So, I mean, first of all, I say space and grace. I am the most unspacious person because I like, I like to go, go, go. So truth, truth here is before I even retired, I was already starting the software company that I had an idea for because I like to go, go, go. So, but uh, I'll tell you sort of why I did give myself space. So I actually started a quote unquote software company, which is hilarious because that means I got an, I spent a bunch of money on an LLC, a logo, and I did a business strategy and it was an app. And it was this app to manage your kids. At the time, my kids were in elementary school and we were getting piles of paper of events and things. And I literally thought I was going to lose my mind on a regular basis. And so this was meant to sort of digitize it, which probably would have done really well once COVID came out. But what I, what I realized is, is, you know, I got all that done and I started meeting with people and they're like, okay, well, now you just need to start building prototypes and experience. And I was like, I don't, I don't like to build stuff. Like I like to create stuff, but building real tangible stuff, like, you know, and so what sounded like a great idea wasn't. And then meanwhile, I had, um, you know, the space of like career leadership development, et cetera, which I'm sort of in, I'm more of like a business uh, growth coach. And, but I do a lot of talent work, et cetera. I had poo-pooed because I was like, there are a dime a dozen. There's a million you know, leadership companies. There's, and I'm not a, like, I'm not a dime. Like I'm a unique person and I don't, you know, and I'm also a business person. So I was a little snarky. I was like, those are mostly like HR people and didn't, you know, and I, that's not me. And so I ignored it, but then I thought, God, I got so many things to say though. And so Susie, I would go sit, my son plays hockey, which I know you're Canadian. So I'm guessing at least one of your boys must have played no, hockey. You know what's so funny? They didn't. I thought they should because my <laughs> husband played hockey and I'm like, well, we're in Canada. I think you have to, I think it's what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> what you should, what you shouldn't do the shoulds, I guess. So yeah, but they didn't like it. None of them liked skating. And, um, yeah, it's so no. <laughs> That's so funny. So well, I know. Good, good for them for not doing, you know, you shouldn't do the shoulds. You shouldn't should on yourself. It's a social um, thing though here. It definitely is. Oh, I bet. Yeah. There, a lot of kids are playing hockey. Yeah. I bet. Well, so I would go, so my son been to hockey and I would go sit at the rink and I broke out my laptop and I just started writing blog posts, like draft blog posts. And I, at the time, did not consider myself a writer. I was a math major. I majored in statistics. Like, I, you know, writing was, you know, the, across across the pond, even though I failed in actuarial. But um, but I had a lot to say. And next thing I know, I sort of looked up from that cold, icy bench that I've been sitting on for months. And I had written like 50 some pages, probably, you know, 15 plus blog posts. Hmm. And I thought, well, gosh, I have a lot to say about a lot to say. And then I just started listening to podcasts and I, and I actually had hired another coach on my own. And I'll be honest with you. Um, she, she didn't really steer me in the right direction because I was sort of like, well, I want to have freedom and I want to, you know, be with the kids, but I also want to do big things. And she was sort of like, got to pick one or the other, which was not the case. Um, but I listened to a podcast. It was a podcast. One day I listened to this guy. Have you ever heard of? I don't remember his name. He's a, he's a British guy and it's called Youpreneur is the podcast. No, I haven't. And Youpreneur, it's meant to be like a solo entrepreneur kind of thing. And he was great energy, but a little bit obnoxious, like a little, little too much, but I stumbled upon it, probably listening to something else, you know, and he was talking about this profession of being, uh, you know, a personal brand, a Youpreneur, a, a speaker, author, coach, like this bundle, right? Because in my head, I knew there were speakers out there. I knew there were coaches. Like I didn't know kind of the connective tissue of how right. they all, right? And and really what I call being a thought leader for a living. And then your business model is your choice, right? You can do one of many things or you can do multiple things. And so in corporate world, like we think we're so smart, but we're not. Like we know one business, we know two business models. We're like either you work and you get a paycheck every two weeks or you consult, like we just don't have the time, right, to explore and know. So I remember sitting in my car and hear him talk about, it and I go, "Oh my god, that's what I want to do." I literally said it out loud, and um, and then I started to go through that you should not do something because you hate the way it's done before. You can do it your own way around career and leadership, and started putting the authenticity spin on and um, the fact that I didn't want to build an app, and yeah, that was probably. That was about four months of just messy and going one direction and coming back another um, to finally say, okay, actually, I want to start this company, Be Authentic, Inc. 
And and even when I said that, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, right? Like, I didn't know yeah. how I was going to make money, really. And But um, it was that space and that messiness and chasing some things that weren't the right thing that were key to me finding the right thing. Absolutely. Curiosity and uh, motivation like to find you working. I heard that somewhere once, and it's really so important. Like, you needed to write the blog post. That's what happened to me, too. I was blogging for I don't know. I had tons like for, I must've had a hundred before I got clarity to start the podcast. Cause you have to find your voice. You don't even know what's going to come out of you. And then my background's qualitative uh, research. And mm-hmm. so then like a good qualitative um, researcher, then you see what patterns come from all of your writing and you look for patterns. Oh, this is how this all goes together. I can see yep. the linkages now. Yeah. And, and I, you put it I, on yeah. social and see who likes it. Right. Like, right. Literally like, but like what resonates and what doesn't. And I know I always say that I think the biggest no- misnomer is people think you think, you know, then you write, but really mm-hmm. you write to know. And even, you know, when you write a blog post or write a book, you know, a little bit, but God, do you discover a lot when Absolutely. you slow down and write? Yeah. And that is the other thing that you just said, you slow down when you're just spinning in your head and not writing. It goes too fast and there's no real reason to slow down. But when you're writing, you're just a, a stroke or a or a tap away from clarifying something or from drawing a little arrow or yeah. from, you know, just slowing down and being more reflective of what's coming out of you. Yeah. And it's such a good process. But I find when you spin and you don't take notes... That's the one thing I don't like about podcasts. The one thing I love podcasts and I love podcasting, but as a listener, if you're listening now and you can think about what happens when you listen, we're walking the dog, mm-hmm. you know, we're driving We're I always cut vegetables, put makeup on. That's what I'm typically doing. I'm not at my desk listening to a podcast with a notepad and I'm not that great with note taking on my phone. And so there are times where I really don't remember what I wanted to remember from the episode because I'm not allowing that slowness. You know, I'd have to be really disciplined and hit the re, you know, go back 15 seconds or (laughs) whatever to do it. And a lot of times you can't. So uh, I love podcasts for so many reasons, but sometimes I have to go listen to it again to really take the note that I wanted or to follow up. Do you find Yeah. I, I mean, I would say yes. And the, the silver lining to that, is it goes back to the 50% rule. If you took notes on everything, the risk would be that you, you know, you thought, okay, I've got the formula. Now I've got to go execute it for how to leave my job or to, you know, whatever you're sort of learning. And that's where things get actually really detrimental. So I think the silver lining is that when you listen, really, it should be those one or two things that naturally stick with you. That's, you know, that's the 50% you keep. It's technically probably like, 5%, 5%, but um, right. <laughs> you get the, you get the com- concept. So I think in that sense, um, it, it allows, it forces us to curate and only remember the things that matter to us most so that we don't find ourselves, you know, I love that, chasing, copying, love it. You know, heading down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So tell us more about the 50% rule and why it was such a big deal for you to create a book. Yeah. I know. I can't believe it. I've got 60,000. Um, words written actually just signed with a publisher on Friday. Um, so I'm very excited. We are, um, launching next year. Yeah. It's really weird. It's the simplest, stupidest rule. So how the hell did I write 60,000 words about it? So how it came about, you know, I've spent the last four years talking about authenticity and how it's tangible and how it can be your secret weapon to success. And so I've done quantitative research. I did the TED talk. I wrote you do you ish, my first book. And that's what I speak on. I coach on. But yet, as I was at the same time being an entrepreneur, so I was learning exponentially. So I was super, I was super knowledgeable in what I was teaching. It's super green and right in how I was running my business. So I was, I was meanwhile like soaking up and I found myself constantly hitting these walls. And it was a couple different times where I would learn like, you know, but part of these programs, I would invest in these programs and they would tell you every single step you need to take to be, you know, to make money while you sleep and to get more speaking clients. And 
And I would, I remember the, the moment I was sitting in one session in Nashville, Tennessee, it was a two day uh, session and I was feeling so overwhelmed and I was feeling actually back to be feeling lazy, but it wasn't because I was bored. I was, I was like, I don't want to do all this. And because a, a lot of it, not just that it was hard work, it was like, it just felt not me. It just mm-hmm. either I felt like, ah, does that really work? If I'm a consumer, I wouldn't like that. Or I, I had no space to exercise my creativity muscles, which is part of my engine, right? And I was sitting there and I and I I just remember thinking to myself, what if I just 50% rule it? And it just sort of like came up in my head and I was like, what if I what if I don't feel frustrated and throw it all out? What if I only like take about half of it and the other half I do Aaron way? Like I'm super creative person. I'm a big believer in like you know, talk triggers like Jay Bear, right? Like marketing with things that are unique. I, I'm not the do it harder, better person. I'm the do it different, you'll stand out kind of person. And so I, you know, I sort of said it to myself, it helped me. And then it just kind of grew from there. I had people come to me and I was like, well, what if you 50% roll it? Like, I felt like every time somebody had a problem, I was like, what if, and they're like, huh? And I would explain, well, s- simply, you know, only take about half of what you learn or the formula or whatever. The other half, you do it your own way. And they would like, they would just get so unblocked. And so I kept doing that and whether it was coaching or friends, uh, et cetera. And then I was like, well, gosh, this is really impacting people. So I started taking notes on my phone for a potential book. I was like, this might be a book. And then what happened was crazy. Everything I would watch. I mean, I would watch a documentary. I would read a news article, not everything, but I would keep seeing the 50. I was like, oh my gosh. Weird Al, that's how he became successful. He used the 50% rule. He took me, you know, and I start, so I started to see it like in Queen Elizabeth and Weird Al and then Manuel Miranda and this guy who became an internet sensation with a bike butt. And so I kept like seeing it. Obviously they didn't know that's what it's called and realizing that it really wasn't just something that could unblock you, but it was something that if you did it right, you could actually leapfrog. You could go from underdog to unmatched. You could go, mm-hmm. you know, you could start, stop the comparison crap and, and actually just start competing in a league your own. And I was seeing it across the board. And, um, yeah. And that's when the obsession, that's when the writing started. And that's where the 60,000 words came from. Mm, and 60,000 is not the total. There's yeah, more no, that's coming. <laughs> no, 60,000 is about the total. No, I'm actually, I'm 97, 98% written. Oh, I, wow. That's amazing. That's, that's the crazy part too. This was really cosmic, kismet, weird. I don't know what the right word is. So my first book, cause I don't want to be annoying. Like <laughs> people writing is not easy. My first book, you know, it was painful, right? I would write like crazy that I wouldn't go back and look at it. Cause I thought it was probably shit. And then I would give it to my book coach and then she would make me do a bunch of painful edits and I would be miserable. And it, it was very hard. It was very hard. And, and in fact, I got it almost done and I just like closed my eyes and punted it. And it was like, here, you take it. Like, you know, let's be done with this. Um, this book was different and I, it was weird. I even write it in the last, last chapter. Like I started calling the book my BFF. Mm. I couldn't wait to write it. I would go to hockey practices and I would sit, whether it was in the rink or at Panera, and I would be so excited that I had an hour, hour and a half to myself to write. Like I would sometimes be caught in my office at night before I went to bed, just in it for a little bit because I missed it. And I really believe like from a macro perspective, the rule, because I used the rule to write it, right? I did things differently. Even my book proposal, I 50% ruled it. Like, um, but there's something, there's something really magical that's in this book. And it, it almost, I don't want to say it wrote itself because that's super cheesy, but it, it, I wrote it with such joy. And that's what I love about the 50% rule the most. It isn't the success. It isn't the barriers you get over. It's, I think it helps people create and, and follow big audacious goals in a really fun way. And it just, it takes discipline away and it makes it, you know, it turns it into desire. So. That's my super corny, cheesy part, but... Um, no, I love it. And that's yeah. what I'm hearing. It's permission. You're giving people permission to do things in a joyous way that yeah. typically feel like a grind. They do. And and it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea for a book. And then I know they're thinking, got it. Why would I read a book? But I even tell stories about while I was writing the book, the said author and expert of the 50% rule 
where I got caught not using it, you know, in different parts of my life and, and you know, part of it's personal. So it's one of those things where every once in a while, something's so powerful, you kind of need a book to just really cement it in your head. Yes. Um, otherwise that permission is, is fleeting mm. and we lose it. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. So now I love asking this question. It's just some advice that you would give other women in the middle who are stuck or thinking about a change or know that they're meant for more. Cause that really is the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, there's gotta be more. And that is such a common thing I hear. Um, and I asked you in the pre notes here. And the first thing you said was to know your numbers. Tell me a little bit about how that played out for you and why it's so important. Yeah. I mean, so many people, 99.9% of the people don't chase it because they're like, you know, financials, right? And it's always something different. I have kids going to college. I'm a soul, you know, I own my home by myself. I don't have a partner, but, you know, but they don't really know, okay, what would the impact? How long could I go? What is my, I mean, I have conversations. I run in executive circles. I have a lot of executive friends who make a lot of money. And guess what? It's still the money. And it's like, really? Are you sure? Um, so make it tangible. I mean, the truth be told, I didn't run my numbers, but here's what happened to us. My husband works for the federal government here in the US. And the very month, so my last paycheck came December of 2018, end of the year, was also the beginning of the longest shutdown of our government in history, meaning six weeks, they were not funding our government, my husband was working and not getting paid. And so we went from being pretty, you know, fat and happy. I was the breadwinner and he had, you know, his great insurance and nice federal income to making zero. And I always say, you know what happened? Nothing. We were okay. <laughs> I mean, now granted this was six weeks, right? And yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. We had to use our savings maybe for an or mortgage payment. And but it wasn't what you expected. And I know what you mean. Yeah. Like the worst case scenario I always think about is I'm going to end up like if something bad happens, going to end up under a bridge with a shopping cart. But we say that homeless, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's my yeah. go-to. So we forget that as older and wiser women, we have experience, we have resources, we've got um backup plans, we have all kinds of things that we didn't have when we thought about that the first time, which for me was in my twenties. Yeah. <laughs> when and I just, really thought and that. just using your savings, like we're such hoarders. Even right. I mean and, and some people will say I'm not a hoarder, I don't have the money. I like but but Yes, I get that. But there are also people that just this concept of like using money out of their bank account for a little bit. So yeah, really make it tangible. Yeah. Don't have it be this elusive because if you make it elusive, you're going to just join the millions of other people that are like, I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Now, another thing, um, everything you said here, it comes up so much in this community. Mm-hmm. So I was so happy to hear your take on it from a slightly different perspective. So the other one, uh, number two, was to follow others and be a little bit jealous and maybe even petty. So tell me how that comes up for you. Yeah. I mean, find other people that are doing the things you love. You know, 50% rule it. Don't say, okay, if I go to be a coach or to, you know, own a restaurant or whatever, I have to do exactly the same. But, but be a little, yeah, be a, that's where jealousy is good. That's where you can be inspired by somebody else's story. Um, I also, when I say petty, there are times in the program I was in where part of my feel, quite honestly, Susie, was I'd look at some of these people and they they were had been doing it longer and were successful. And I don't feel like they had half the talent I had. So I was like, if they can do it, I can do it too. So sometimes it's okay to be petty, at least in your own head. Well, it's a good it's a good thing to be aware of observations that you're having and what you want. And that's what I love about uh when you see somebody else doing something and it moves you. Why do you want that? Will you allow yourself to want that? Or what are you envious of? I remember one time somebody was telling me about um, noticing that she had a friend who always had time to see people in need during the day, like to visit somebody in the hospital or to visit uh, somebody who had a lot of stress. And she had a, a the opportunity to follow up with friends in need. And it made her so envious and that was such great insight for her. Yeah. Such great insight for her. And then there was somebody else who was talking about the time she went on vacation and and there was somebody who had a yoga school on these rocks on the ocean. And that just stood out to her. And now now she's now that motivated her that insight and now she's more in that direction. 
of doing yeah. things with beautiful vistas. Yeah, because those people so. didn't get it, get it thrown into their lap. They got it because they went and pursued it, right? They, they Absolutely. Yep. So you got to get the inspiration from somewhere. You just, but you have to be open to leaning mm-hmm. in that direction. Um, okay. And then the other thing you mentioned is, and you mentioned it earlier on today too, is that you highly likely need a coach. So how did that play out for you that you really realized that that was something that was really important to keep? Yeah. I mean, I've, since I've started this journey, I've always had some sort of program coach, sometimes multiple it's changed over time based on what I need. But, um, to think that we can go to school and spend, by the way, hundreds of thousands of dollars, at least in today's dollars, on an education for four years or six years or eight years, and then we're done, you know, and then, and then from there, we're just, you know, taking like LinkedIn learning courses and whatever our company gave <laughs> us and what to be successful is BS, right? Um, You don't need it all the time, but if there's somebody that can help you slow down, that is ahead of you, even by a thumbnail, uh, it's so worth the money. You say, you know, you think it's, oh, I'm going to be spending more money, but the amount of money you save by not going in crazy directions. And trust me, I went in a lot of crazy directions. I could, I could definitely mount up a, a bill of, of goods that I, you know, paid for that I shouldn't have if I would have had somebody that, you know, advised me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super cliche, but even the best, you know, pro athletes have coaches. Why, why not you? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, okay. So you have a podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah. Because work doesn't have to suck. Say it like that. It's just the letter B and then C-A-U-S-E. We actually started it. It was originally called Because. It's uh, a good friend of mine and I co-host it and it's half interview. We 50% half of it's interviews and half of it's her and I authentically mostly going through her crap at work and her hilarious stories and sort of real time coaching and banter. Um, but we started as just because, cause we had no the idea what the hell we were going to talk about or do. And then rebranded it in the last year because work doesn't have to suck. Yeah. And we're, we're just really focused. We're focused primarily on, uh, we say Gen X women leaders who are in corporate and, and they're, they're bought in, but they're fed up. So it doesn't mean that they're necessarily have to leave and transition. Mm-hmm. But how can they make their leadership more authentic, their career more powerful and, and do it their own freaking way? And so we're always focused on not normal, inspiring through stories of, of people that have found ways to do it their own their own way and be bolder. Um, and we have a lot of fun. And Nicole, Nicole's a riot. She's so unique. She's Yale, Johns Hopkins grad, super, super smart, and probably one of the most screwed up people you meet in your entire <laughs> life too. So it's a great juxtaposition and she's a great friend for oh bringing gosh. it all to people. So we have that a lot sounds, of fun. That sounds really fun. How can people best get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say the best way is LinkedIn that, you know, to get me, I have a website, you know, podcast, if you're, you're obviously on here, listen to that, but um, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where you'll sort of see most almost daily stories, inspiration. We can talk, we can get to know each other a little bit easier there. So I'm the only Aaron Hatsacostas on LinkedIn. So if you can spell it, you can find me. Um, but I'd of, love to see you there. Of course, I'll put the link in the show notes because, um, yeah, we want to make sure that people can find you and not get hung up on, on the name. Like I get hung <laughs> up on your name. Like we got to smooth that out. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. It's been a total delight to have you on. Your advice is amazing. You got a lot of guts. You got a lot of courage. You got a lot of creativity and it's a beautiful thing to watch. Oh, I love it. I love everything you're doing with your podcast and your business. And it's so, and as a 49.4 year old woman, almost 50, like I love seeing what you're doing and I want you to keep doing it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Okay. That's it for this episode. I loved hearing Aaron's thoughts and perspectives about what's important to consider when you're making a big career decision. I mean, that comes up so much in the Women in the Middle Academy. And she had some really good things to uh, help you. I thought the way she shared her story of listening to and honoring that whisper of knowing, that whisper, that inner voice trying to break through, that you're meant for more. I totally related to that and felt it too in my last few years at my long-term job. Erin also recognized that she needed to be challenged. In fact, she craved it. And the gifts she gave herself, space and grace to wander and explore. This also comes up so much with women in the middle. 
it can feel so indulgent to wander and explore when it doesn't feel productive. But that's where so many of us are wrong. It usually gives you the answers, insights, and direction that you need. You got to slow down, though. (laughs) You got to slow down and explore and just be curious. Create more white space. I'm so glad she talked about that. So much goodness in this episode. And all the links are in the show notes. I hope you got a lot out of this interview. I know I did. Okay, as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck and clear so you don't have regrets. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Happiness Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together. It is totally possible to break through the shoulds and the autopilot lifestyle and get clear about what you want. That's how you'll feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. Like, seriously, it is time for you to feel free to enjoy your life the way you want to. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free, no obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. I'm also excited to invite you to amplify your listening experience with the podcast by having more of a book club experience with all of the midlife stuff that we're talking about. Join the Women in the Middle podcast club by going to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast club button and away you go. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 345. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.